What's up, everybody? Welcome to the DGN Dads Podcast. I'm Chris, and of course, I have my co-host Kyle with me today. Good morning, Kyle. How's it going today, man? Yo, man. It's going. How are you good, doing? I'm good. So this is going to be the first podcast episode where the entire episode is going to be embedded on Twitter. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. And speaking of Twitter, there's just been some huge innovations recently. Uh, did you see that they uploaded the entire first season of an Apple TV show on directly onto Twitter? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it's like some dystopian. I I, I watched a little bit of it and like skimmed through the episode. It was like a dystopian looking uh, I'm interested. I, now, it does have me interested in wanting to watch it, though, I will say. And I saw Elon tweet about it, too. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I was just thinking last night, like, what a great way for any streaming company to advertise one of their shows. Because all they have to do is embed, like, an entire episode, and someone like you watches it, and is like, you know what? That's pretty cool. Maybe I should go watch the entire season. So, like, I don't... You know, this could happen for, I think, obviously, YouTubers are going to be doing it, like this podcast right now, Netflix, Hulu, Peacock, uh, even like Crunchyroll, like anime streaming devices. Like, I see everyone wanting to utilize that because it's like a te- it's like an extended teaser, you know? Like, instead of like a trailer, you're embedding an entire episode to get people hooked, and they might like it so much that they go and pay for a month of your of your streaming service, so it would totally be worth it. Yeah, I mean, it just it's kind of like one of those things where it was an obvious play. Um, it's cool that Twitter actually enables long form content now, too, at the same time. Um, so what they did is pretty smart. Um, you go to where the fish are and that's it's kind of that simple. Um, so it's good to see brands actually using their noggins and actual doing actual marketing. So it's 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 nice to see that. Yeah, and like like you said, it seems like an obvious move, but like it's something that I really haven't seen on any other social media. And if I have seen it, it's like doesn't it's not nearly as nice. It's not like embedded, you know. Like I might see a somebody record a episode of a season and upload it on their personal profile or something, you know, but like I haven't seen like Apple TV upload an entire episode onto Facebook, you know. So it's just interesting that none of the other companies have actually made that move to do that and i don't know there's like this weird like competition thing maybe like they're like well if we let them do that maybe people will go to that instead of stay on our media but it makes sense because you're still staying on twitter while you're watching it so like you're still the twitter still getting that retention time uh they just recently announced uh well they've been announced this but they're getting even more into like ads so they'll be able to eventually like run ads on that and monetize that and monetize it for creators so it's just interesting that we're like just now really seeing this with twitter uh, opposed to like we haven't really seen it on any other media yeah you typically just see like trailers or like the first 10 minutes of an episode but the full episode you, you typically don't see that um you just see them doing it on their own platform where it's like you get a free episode and then you have to buy the whole season um but again this is like good thinking probably i mean i'm happy to see good marketers finally in, in tech so um sometimes that's not always the case um but apple uh, t- i mean they have pretty good marketing you know <laughs> yeah, generally yeah, sure. uh than, than other tech companies so um it's kind of nice to see i guess that's why their stocks are like, all time high I, i'm i'm in tech so i i see I see how the marketing goes because that's how my brain operates. So at least in the blockchain space, it's it's not been the best. I, it's just in some cases, it's atrocious in, in Web3. <laughs> yeah, man. It's I actually saw a tweet the other day that was talking about that. Like just imagine some of these Web2 companies like acting like Web3 where you like raise all this money and then you like make announcements of announcements and you kind of like never deliver. Like that, that just doesn't slide, you know. Uh, it doesn't go in Web2, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, man, I mean, Twitter is really becoming like a one-stop shop. Like, it's kind of getting everything. Uh, I'm sure you saw this too, but like yesterday they just announced. So like, obviously they were already allowing like long-form tweets. I don't remember the character count up until that point. But now you can do a long-form tweet up until 25,000 characters. Now like, originally when I first saw that, and I'm sure a lot of people's initial response is going to be like, why would you need to write that much? But this is essentially replacing the need for other newsletters or other blogs. It can actually be directly on Twitter. So instead of Twitter redirecting you to this newsletter site, Twitter now is the newsletter that people are going to be going to for, you know, detailed reports. Now there's obviously still like a need for like all these other sites and obviously we have traction over there. But to me, this is another good move for Twitter because again, they're becoming the one-stop shop they have they have video content up to actually i think it's over an hour now but it was up to an hour uh in 1080p uh now they have long-form written content uh twitter spaces is great for podcasts uh really a you know a revolutionary way to do podcasts that being said obviously they weren't the first ones to do it like you saw clubhouse and a lot of other people do it but twitter is the first one that's really getting traction with that with thousands and thousands of people in just one space at a time so I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm kind of feeling pretty bullish on Twitter's future for cr- creators and for consumers. Yeah, I mean, to me, Elon's purchase made sense. Maybe he bought it a little bit more than what it was actually worth, but I think long term will prove that like it was a good investment, in my opinion. Um, he's done a great job. Like it, again, like Twitter didn't have too many improvements before Elon came along. Then he came along and kind of lit a fire. Like he. Unfortunately, he did some layoffs. I mean, people were affected by that. But I think the macro is he's developing and pushing the platform forward, which is what we wanted to see. The users were already there. Um, people were already like liking Twitter. It's just like, how can you deliver even more um, for your users? And this is him delivering on that um, kind of promise, if you will. In you know, looking at it from a marketing angle, it just makes sense. You know, Twitter could be rivaling other you know content platforms out there and this should be implemented you know if you're a marketer and i have done a, again i've done like 10 years plus in marketing and i'm looking at this as an angle um how to use this long form content to rank because this is going to be searchable content people are going to be going into twitter just like they do youtube and type they already do i mean um we're seeing a rise in that as well searchable content on twitter and you're starting to see even like the bigger like I guess thought leaders in the space start talking about that too. And I think Gary V may have mentioned it. If he hasn't already, I'm sure he will. Gary V, man, that's a that's a great segue into one of our hardest hitting topics today. Uh, as you know, every single week on this podcast, we switch from my channel to Kyle's channel on YouTube, and now it's going to be embedded on Twitter. At least this episode is. Uh, we hit all the latest in crypto, NFTs, tech, and finance. And uh, just today, breaking news. Uh, Palm NFT partnered or merged with Candy, which is a um, a company that Gary V has invested in. Uh, so that's why I was saying as a segue into this topic. Uh, what do you think about this merge, Kyle? Uh, from what you've seen so far? Um, yeah, this is probably a good move for both companies. Um, you know, just I don't know how many people are using Candy, so maybe this is like more of a like if we band together, we'll do better, you know, if that if that makes sense, like both financially and success wise. Um, and maybe Candy has more IP and that they could bring into the blockchain or the Palm ecosystem. So I think it probably benefits both parties involved here. So uh, for me, I'm kind of excited to see what they'll kind of produce or if this will 
improve the ecosystem that they're planning on, you know, rolling out, or maybe if they're just using Palm blockchain on the back end. So I'm very curious. They have a space tomorrow uh, about, I'm sure, more of this, what we'll hear. Um, but overall, I, I have a little bit of a sense of optimism here that they'll bring some more some more goodies into the space. And it's really about pushing the needle forward. Like um, I heard a founder yesterday or somebody mentioned that he said that like the, the volume NFTs are shrinking, like NFTs in general, like users are shrinking. So anything that can push this base forward is, is a positive for everybody. Oh, so yeah, I completely agree, man. I actually went straight to the FAQ when I heard the announcement and they already like updated this on their FAQ, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, I'll just read it real quick to you and whoever's listening uh, because it's exactly what you said. So on June 29th, which is the time that we're recording this episode, we announced our merger with leading Web3 technology and production company Palm NFT Studio. So this is Candy writing this. Together, we will accelerate the development of impactful technology, empowering brands to innovate in Web2 and Web3. Our goal is to continue to build the future of fandom to serve and the resources of the communities that we work in and to break new ground in on-chain experience. And just a little little background on just like a what is candy because i'm gonna be honest with you i've never used the platform before i'm gonna tell you in just a minute on one thing i'm particularly excited about uh but what is candy is the next generation of digital collectible company offering unique nfts for fans uh, and collectors giving them the ability to purchase and sell nfts to deepen their love of sports culture and entertainment and like you said there's already like they already have their own ip so this is kind of like a, a good merge of ip as well uh but one thing i've seen people speculating on and i would even go further to say it's probably past speculation is candy already offers crypto on-ramp and off-ramp so that's one thing that we've been waiting for uh for a while on palm it's just to kind of have that connection with metamask to be able to buy let's say bat cows or whatever with crypto uh, with ethereum or with bitcoin or, or solana whatever uh and candy already offers this so it's pretty safe to assume uh that this is going to be an available feature with the merge do you think that's speculation or you think that's just inevitable kyle um, I'd probably just, it's, um, I don't know if it's speculation, but I think it's also inevitable. Palm, um, I think Palm has good connections in general in the space. Um, we haven't really seen them flex their muscles just yet, but, um, you know, just everything that we've seen. And I mean, like I already have Palm already integrated into my MetaMask. Like I know I'm, I'm like locked and loaded and ready to go already. Um, so I, they're probably just moving along at the speed they need to. And, you know, with whatever, everything going on. Uh, you know, wire shutting down. Anyways, I think it's inevitable. Um, they'll probably find just a new provider or use, if Candy already has it, then they'll use their resources. Um, so we'll see. Um, I think Candy has multiple blockchains they use too. I think they, it's Flow and Palm. I'm looking real quick to see if it's a... Yeah, because they have the MLB thing, and I think that might be using Flow, and then the rest of them may be on Palm. I'm not really sure. Um, I think I've bought a few, I, I bought a couple MLB moments on there or whatever they're called uh, on candy just to try it out. Um, and I got some, I got a pretty good pool as well, or I might've actually went in the secondary and bought one, but yeah, I feel like every sports related NFT, like just defaults to flow ever since top shot. Yep. So yeah. I think flow will be, um, I, I think as time progresses, we'll, we'll probably continue to see flow keep onboarding more brands i mean mattel has moved from you know all everything else to to using flow natively on their marketplace so i wouldn't be too surprised to see more brands start to adopt flow and just because flow is already like set up for mainstream users 
um, as which is why you saw doodles move their doodles to to it, even though, um, you know, kind of the ETH maxis didn't like it. Um, now, I didn't like the rollout of it, but um, the way they communicated it was pretty terrible. But again, that goes back to what we said earlier about marketing <laughs> and, and Web3 sometimes. It's atrocious. It really is, man. Marketing and just lack of communication. Uh, we actually had a huge debacle this week over, I guess, somebody just being out of touch with the space. Um, I, I'm sure you saw is literally all over Twitter, but the whole Azuki Elementals vent. Uh, so for those of you that weren't keeping up, the Elementals is the third drop for Azuki. So Azuki had their original OG mint. Uh, the floor price was like 13 Ethereum going into this week. Uh, then they had the free mint, which was the beans. Beans were around like one ETH. And then they announced when they had their event in Vegas that they were going to do another mint. And everybody was super excited about it. But this mint actually ended up being two Ethereum to mint, and there's 20,000 of them. And uh, so, yes, they raised, they raised 40,000 Ethereum on this mint. They did sell out, and a majority of it was directly to their holders. Here's the problem, Kyle, which I know you've been keeping up, but somebody watching this might not be. Uh, the problem is that this third collection looked exactly like the OG collection. So all they did was they took the OG collection and then they added traits to it. So they essentially got 20,000 more of the OG collection after raising two Ethereum each. <laughs> What's your thoughts on that, Kyle? Yeah, it's just what a disaster. I mean, it was already overpriced. Um, and then people were trying to like, Sa like kind of like save their bags or like save the azuki team which i don't know why anyways it's like why um like by saying it could be an art collectible game i'm like it, it, it doesn't matter how you spin it, it it was a failure um i mean the art looks almost exactly the same um it could be a game long term but that's in in azuki's best interest to maybe communicate or at least tease that it's going to be something versus just selling a high-priced and it, this goes back to why people in mainstream hate NFTs, <laughs> like in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. And so Azuki aims to be a decentralized anime, which is cool. But I mean, that's the cool part. But, yeah, but the, yeah. but having to rely on these mints to gather their funding. I, I don't know, man. Uh, so just a random fun fact, uh, Attack on Titans, like one of my favorite animes that I've watched and uh, it costs them $150,000 per episode to uh, be able to, like, make the anime. So just trying to do that math, like, Azuki has more than enough to deliver their, like, first season just from this one mint. Uh, but so far, I just haven't really seen what Azuki delivered. I see what they're promising, but just coming out of, like, left field and, and doing things like this... I, I just I'm not about it and, and I'm an anime book. person like I really enjoy anime so like it's not like the fact that I don't like everything around it it's just the fact that I don't really see what what other people see like I honestly just feel like it's it's kind of the monopoly of decentralized anime right now that's why a lot of people gravitate towards it because they like anime and Azuki does have really cool art but I don't I hmm. I just don't like how everybody's letting that slide after like this disaster I I'm not saying like I don't like Azuki now. I just I greatly disagree with everything they did around that, and it doesn't help that their founders like not present. You know, Zagabond like I, he's active in the discords. He's active with some of the team that he has that communicate for him. But it's just kind of a weird thing to. It, it seems out of touch. 
uh, when stuff like this happens, you know, like, like, yeah, it seems like you have a lot of influencers, like really propping up the project. Um, there's a lot of good anime in the space. I mean, they do have great art. Azuki does. And I'm on the same page as you in terms of the art, you know, uh, the anime part, but man, it's like, let's, why can't we get behind other anime projects that are either just as good or there have literal OG animators from like either Crunchyroll or like Shonen Jump? Like, I'm like, how do we support like, like you said, a known rugger, but like we like the, the space doesn't want to get behind actual real um, people that have real experience. It I, just, it's kind of weird. Record, say I didn't say that, uh, which I know I get like he, uh, Alleg- allegedly, allegedly. Uh, but even though he admitted it already, but allegedly three projects and then came out of space and admitted it. But I don't know. I hear there's another, it's I all alleged another side to it. Um, I don't really care either way. I think Azuki's look cool. And I know a lot of really cool people that are involved with the community. So even if it was, I always just kind of pick, here's how I've always just kind of imagined Azuki. I kind of imagine Zagabond like somewhat irrelevant. Like he's still there. Cause he's like the project founder, but I've always imagined like a community driven decentralized project. So like to me, I I don't want to say I don't care, but, like, I, I don't think he pulled, like, this huge stunt. I, I think, if I remember correctly, because this happened so long ago, he basically launched a few projects and they failed. Um, and so then, then he launched Azuki and it was, success, then it was successful. Um, but anyways. Oh, he, he ghosted his old projects. Yeah. Like, he didn't even – people were in the Discord, like, messaging, like, hey, what's going on with this? And uh, what – which is commonly referred to as a rug pull. Yeah. Like – that you know when you kind of like ghost your entire community and move on to another sure. one uh that that's i mean that's a rug yeah. pull i mean i'm not defend i'm not defending him i just uh, i just don't know um th- th- literally right. the only reason i would like even like get, allegedly the only reason i would give a little bit of like leniency or grace there grace for you know is because like i there's people that i really respect and trust saying that there's another side which i have yet to listen to uh, just because I haven't, I haven't, had time. I haven't heard it either. Uh, that's that's weird that we've never heard the other <laughs> side. It's just like there is another side. All right, l- let's hear it. Uh, but crickets. these aren't random. So, these are people like I actually trust uh, in the space, that, and that's literally the only reason I'm, I'm sitting here saying like maybe there's another side. I, I don't know. Uh, there could be, and it, it's just hard to. It, it's like a really like big pill to swallow uh to really get excited about it when there's like other great projects like there's games out there there's basic like there's things people there's projects doing like big things out there and it's like azuki is not the only you know project doing things you know so for me it's like there's options like it's not the first anime like there's Oni Force. I haven't even kept Ooh. up with Oni Force, so I have no yeah, idea. No, just kidding. That was the yeah. Logan Paul pumped that project, and then it died. And he then did, but rebought it, it. It died. Yeah, somebody rebought it. And then it resurrected. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you could have made so much <laughs> money if you'd have bought that dip. Because it was. It, I, I actually was going to. I was. I, I like had. I was like ready to go. I was looking at the collection and deciding which one I wanted, and then like immediately just pumped literally the next week, and I was like, well, I guess that's that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I didn't get to enter, unfortunately. So on the anime topic, too, uh, before we move on to the next one, and also, as always, we have Alpha at the end, so stick around to the end. Uh, there's actually a big anime mint today um, that's happening today. It's Ether. Uh, so Ether only has, like, 11 tweets. They have 83.2 thousand followers. Granted, yes, a lot of it's botted. 
and this could be bought it too, but it's interesting. Almost every one of their trailers that they, they released on this, I don't know if my sound was coming through, um, have gotten like either over a million, a couple million, or like even like half a million views. So like while like obviously there's some bots involved, they're getting pretty insane traction for like eleven tweets. Uh the Well the Azuki community ironically is all over it too. Like they're like, oh, I admire this project. So it, it's cool to see, like you know, them admire it because, like, not all the community member, like all the community is is pretty solid. I will admit, like Azuki has a solid community. So it's cool to see them like jump over to another and like be able to support that. I do love to see that, like supporting other communities. Yeah, man. And like I said, like the reason I don't want to sit here and just like throw darts at Azuki is because like I I do appreciate their community and and they're not they're not Zagabon. Yeah. So as I, you know, I just don't want to just like rub dirt on them. Uh, and that's that's you know, it's kind of a weird thing because like you are kind of supporting Zagabon at the base of that, but you also don't want to like I don't know. It's just the, the whole thing's weird. Yeah, since it's decentralized, yeah, it's kind of like the community has control now and. So there is those like nuances too. You definitely should look at. So there's like the whole body of work of decentralization, and that's one of the benefits that the community can really like kind of drive a project to. Um, you know, even if there is like past failures or weird things that have happened, the community can kind of bring it back together to where it was originally supposed to go, or you know, or the original vision. And you know, <laughs> speaking of alleged serial ruggers. Uh, Beanie Maxi came out of the grave mm. to talk about this ether mint. He 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 <laughs> he's been like tweeting like once a week, uh, but he decides to come out and say pricing of ether mint is risky. Vague roadmap roadmap with mint cost ten times higher than the normal. Uh, free still the meta, eh? Kind of, not really. Uh, secondary price needs to two point five x for public mint to sell. What if it doesn't? Economics nearly ensure whitelist on public dump either way. Can bear market demand or sustain this? So what he's referring to, uh, the Ether Mint, I believe is like 0.5. Let me, let me look it up before I say it out loud. Uh, it's high, though, for this market. Like, um, I'm pulling up the website right now. I'm not minting this for the record. Um, it does look really cool. Uh, I'm, I'm not... I, I meant it. I meant it something this week. I'll talk about in a bit, bro. This thing is so tiny. Like the words on this is so tiny. I can't. I like, can't even read it. No wonder I didn't remember the mint price because it's so hard. Oh, so the mint price is point six five, and there's eight thousand of them. Oh wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How oh, much for the public? For the uh, for the whitelist, there's one thousand seven hundred fifty, and the mint price gets your token a discount price of point three five. Or for free. That's significantly cheaper than the public. This is cool, though. It says, or for free. You're talking about 12, 1200 versus like 650 yeah, for sure. It's like half price for the well, allow this, list. Dude, this is pretty cool. It does say you. it could also get minted for free if you lock it up for 10 weeks. Why would you not do that, bro? There's no risk there. I would do that. I would do that option. That That's so they don't get like the initial flippers, but then in 10 weeks, you'll get flippers still yeah yeah i, I feel like if it if it goes up that more projects need to talk about doing though kind of having this like locked up period you know so for uh you know i work for ninja alerts no surprise there and we have an upcoming ordinals mint which i'll give you alpha on how to get whitelist to that at the end of this episode and um we we're in discussion about because we are giving some out for free um i don't know what i'm allowed to say on that but it's it's still in the works on like do we lock this up 
or do we just let them let them have it right off the gate? Uh, it's a very interesting conversation to have because the market needs flippers in a way, like you know, for like uh, to like show that there's trading volume and all that fun stuff. But you also don't want people just to, like dump on the public as soon as it goes public. So uh, it's a very interesting dynamic. I'm about that ten week lockup for free though. I would would 100 do that. Uh, if I was minting this, the reason people aren't going to do this though is because they want the quick flip. They want to mint it for 0.35 and sell it for 0.5. Yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, you do need a healthy like collector base. Um, I, I don't even know, like, because like flippers is like synonymous with just flooring it. Um, it, it's almost like you need a healthy collectible community and like always general interest in your in your community in general. So. Um, I think that's like the underlooked aspect of that. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens with Ether. I don't know if they have that um, because it's not like it happens overnight. You need a lot of interest. And a lot of these products generate interest just based on hype. And they have zero marketing involved. They have no like follow-up systems. It's not like they're like, oh, subscribe to my email list or, oh, subscribe to that. It's just like, follow me on Twitter, join my Discord. And it's like, that's not enough. Like if you think that's just enough, um it's not gonna last and so you know i i was able to advise a lot of projects even before i worked for alluvium and miria i advised um a project that got a blue check mark on OpenSea and they sold out so mm. hey your boy's got a affiliate badge now on twitter i don't know if you noticed that uh what is Pizza. it <laughs> oh nice <laughs> it's uh it's ninja yeah. alerts uh we're we're a, okay. a legacy verified company now organization and uh obviously because i work for that i I got affiliate badge for it so i was excited about that and it's a really cool one because it looks like a pizza because that's like our like thing right now uh which uh you know obviously i can talk about later um but yeah man so the all this pizza talk makes me hungry (laughs) yeah i've honestly i love pizza so much but i'm getting old and it affects my reflux so like i have to like really be careful when eating pizza uh, just affects your reflux what do you talk it affects the freaking hips the <laughs> the thighs the, the the stomach that's i mean i love pizza man i get down on some good pizza i love pizza but i just it's like it's hard now because like i gotta watch i gotta watch my figure you know you know you, what man. i mean i feel you that stuff sticks sticks with you the older <laughs> you get so kyle i know you have killed it in brc20 and ordinals content um both of us have been bullish since the beginning uh we got some pretty cool news earlier this week that brc20s are making their way to magic eden uh this is basically just going to allow people to be able to buy and sell uh brc20s a lot easier because let's be real like for the average person like it's not like you can kind of just like take like two minutes i mean i guess you could have went on alex and done it but this is just even easier because people are so used to transacting on magic eden uh what do you think about this news it's good it's good for the space you know continued growth uh more avenues for liquidity um you know just more exchanges are always good for a token so uh magic eden was one of those the ogs in the nft space in general so it's cool that to see them add support for that so yeah man i'm excited and as somebody who is uh I do get lazy at times, you know, like I've obviously transacted with BRC 20s, but now if I want to DCA, it just makes it a lot easier. I feel like just cause I'm so used to magic Eden, just kind of like connecting my wallet and transacting like ordinals or other NFTs on there. Uh, so 
I'm, and I already some of my favorite ones like OXPT, I believe, like we're part of this. Uh, it's like just to be able to to buy on there. So all that to say, I feel like my my DCAing is gonna is gonna increase now because it's less of a process than what I was going through. Because uh, I never did use Alex. I, I probably should have, uh, but I just never went through with setting it up or anything. So I, I'm I'm excited about the announcement. Yeah, Magic Eden has good UI too, so it's like good for just onboarding users. Like, you know, if you have a friend that's never done it before, you could just like, oh yeah, just you. M- most NFT people have heard of it, even if they haven't bought BRCs. So it's just like, oh yeah, Magic Eden, um, and it's pretty easy to use. You know, Alex is kind of like you know way more techie looking, um, and a little bit more difficult to use for sure. For sure, man. One more. Uh, NFT topic, uh, or this is ordinals actually, and then I'm going to move on to something a little bit more broad. Um, there was a mint this week. Uh, it's actually happened happened today. Uh, it's called OMB, um, and it's very interesting. So it's not really about floor price or anything. I know everybody claims that, but like this one's not. This guy went through some extremes to run this project. Man, let me read it to you real quick. His mom cried for six hours on a phone call because he quit his finance job that he spent eight years for working at. His fiance left him because he he didn't go to a wedding, a rehearsal dinner, because he was too busy (laughs) inscribing sub-10K ordinals. And you think that's extreme? He left his country to relocate to another country. He left his birth country to relocate to another country. Uh, because the government overreach and physical threats all just to launch this project OMB. Well, I don't know a lot about it. I wasn't involved in the mint. I wasn't involved in the culture. It looks like a lot of this is actually like very strongly on decentralization and just like the whole movement. He even has so many references to hashtag free Ross. Uh, who he's alluding to on that is if you're if you're an OG here, you kind of understand the origins like of the space is Ross Yulbrick. I don't know if I pronounced his name right. Um, he's essentially the one responsible, and this is a little bit of controversy that we're about to talk about. He's the one responsible for the, whatever you want to call it, Darknet, or if you want to say uh, Silk Road, um, or whatever word, n- term you want to use for that. Uh, but basically, he created it and set it in motion, and he got arrested for this has been locked up ever since so anytime you see free ross it's usually alluding to this because the great controversy behind it which i you know i obviously need to do my own research more into this is from my understanding it's not like he necessarily he wanted a open source like a free free internet like like a decent non-decentralized but yeah i mean essentially like a free internet uh, now, what people did with that internet, obviously, there's a lot of bad things that came out of it. Drugs, human trafficking, um, a lot of other dark stuff. But whether that was his plan, you know, to actually, like, have that stuff happen, like, I, I wouldn't say that. It, to my knowledge, it wasn't. He's just the one that set it in motion. He's been locked up ever since. He got his, like, I, um, I, I was reading his uh, tweets the other day. He got, like, one of his first visitors since COVID this year. They've been, like, very strict on him, like, a high-end security prison um, this is the first visit he's had to where he didn't have to wear a mask uh, since COVID. Uh, just kind of brutal, man. And uh, I know it's a controversial topic, but you know we talk about everything on this podcast. So, what's your opinion on it, Kyle? Uh, which part Ross of all that in general? <laughs> oh, Ross in general, Silk Road. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it's yeah, that's a hairy topic that maybe we. Sh- I don't know. <laughs> 
I like, is it good, bad? Like, what was your exact question on it? You know, like, I don't, I'm not sure. It's a lot there. Um, you know, if he was actively facilitating, you know, crime, then maybe, I don't know. Um, but if not, like, if he's just out there putting out code, then maybe not. So, I, I mean, I don't yeah. know. I don't know the whole, I, I remember Silk Road. I remember when, like, it went down, like, it, you know, it got taken down. I remember all that. I just don't remember, like, the nuanced stuff and, like, the, the nitty-gritty details because I wasn't that interested in the story. But, um, but I am for decentralization. Sure. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's as much as I can say on that topic. You know, it's it's and then that's about splitting hairs as well. You know, when you look at the macro of that, of like how far decentralized you want to go, then you have like ultimate decentralization. And then some people say, well, like at some point, like you're you're going to you might want to cash out like so you need some kind of mechanism. So it's like there's different layers to it. Um, I don't know. It just depends on who you are, who you talk to um, and like what your values are. To my understanding, he wasn't involved in the in facilitating um, like drugs or trafficking, uh, but that's just to my understanding. Uh, and if that's the case, I don't think he should be in prison. Uh, I think that, and this is off off the top of my head. You know, I wasn't really prepared to talk about this, but like, if he's in prison, there's a lot of people that should be in prison for inventions that were like later turned bad. You know, like there's a lot of things that were created. Um, for like good purposes and use cases behind them, but people did bad things with. So I I, I don't know. Um, it, it's kind of hard to say, and I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Yeah, I forget all the dark stuff that happened on the Silk Road at the same time. I'm like, oh yeah, you said all those things. I'm like, yeah, that stuff was that stuff was pretty was dark. dark. Yeah, it was dark. It's just, it's weird because like you have one guy who created the code for this to be able to run it, and I don't know if he knew any of that was going to happen. You know, so he essentially like unboxed or like opened the can of worms for like everything to happen. But like, I don't know. It's a it's a weird topic, man. You know. So it's like one of those things too. It's it's like, yeah, that's that's a concern that is always going to be had. Is like when you create technology, it, it can be used in a certain way, and uh, as usually humanity tries to put guardrails up. And part of the reason why I think Satoshi just remained anonymous is because exactly that, like he just created a code and wanted to like disappear into the bushes and like never be seen again or whatever, whatever he did, you know, whatever, like whatever you believe about Satoshi, that's probably why he was anonymous. He'd have probably been killed or in prison by now. And the thing is right now you can inscribe, believe this or not, Kyle, you can actually inscribe Satoshi's to where you can put images on them. If people do bad things with that, should Satoshi, if he was docs, go to prison? You know? Uh, But is that not, like, a close comparison of, like... Yeah, they should go after the actual criminal. Yes, and I don't know. It's it's a very weird thing, man. Um, I think that the creator of Tornado Cash also went to prison. Uh, Granted, the uh, Tornado Cash is basically where you could, like... uh, high like you could you could uh wash your funds online to where you can't be tracked but i think it was also like had like good use cases for it but i'm not sure and i also don't know what the founder like intended for it but i believe they're also in prison yeah i mean what if uh like somebody tracks your wallet and is like knows who you are and you have to like escape you know from that like you know your your life's in danger you got to swap a wallet so you can maybe get to a safer location and use that crypto to 
to move or like what I mean, and there, there could be a potential there, like in terms of like use cases, but it's probably few and far in between, but yeah, the tornado cash is one of those things. It's like, I saw like, that was so interesting to watch, watch that play out. I mean, it's still live, isn't it? It's still like up and running. Um, they, it's just the founder. They, like, so there's like other ways to tornado cash now, but I think like the tornado cash like thing itself, I don't know if it got sh- it got shut down or could get shut down, but I know like anybody tied to it got like like I think Coinbase, I think like well, Coinbase yeah, the, restricted the US, wallets. The U.S. like pressed in. Well, the U- the U.S. Yeah, did, yeah. yeah. Said you'd you'd basically go to jail if you yeah. or like it's a federal crime, is what they said. They came out and like so yeah. Kyle. You're, um, you know, you are responsible for everybody involved with Omi to have one of those like red O's, you know, on their, on their Twitter handles. So like if they go off and do something off the rails, like, do you think you should go to prison? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm responsible for, uh, for the, Oh, I, I, I played a part in that, but, um, you know, yeah, I mean a lot of, yeah, there, no, I shouldn't go to jail for that. Because we already we already have enough grifters around in the NFT space as, as a whole, you know, and you know, I'd be sucked to go to jail to like some of the actions of some random person with a. Red yeah, man. Circle. If I get if I get jumped um, at an IRL event and like I find out they're associated with like the Red Circle movement, like you're probably the first person I think about. So no, I mean I'm not like a, a leader, leader, like a, a cult leader. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not like that. You know, this isn't a, a gang or whatever. Nah, I'm just messing around. Yeah, that was um, it's just interesting stuff to think about. And I, I think it's important for these uh, talks, like, in the space. Because, like, uh, while while you did mention that you weren't, like, super interested in, like, the whole Ross thing, like, I do think a large part of, like, decentralization, decentralized web, a lot of things that we're working on and, like, figuring out, a lot of, I mean, that kind of ties into the origins, uh, like, in a way. You know, it, it's a little separate than crypto. But, like, that whole decentralized movement and uh, stuff, like, it's important to at least think about um, for sure. And also, also yeah, anybody it's, that's, it's anybody like, that's, I'm not, anybody that's locked up right now, like, for life or, or and, like, I don't, like, I just, you know, I don't know. If he, again, if he did facilitate some of those things, like, I get it. But if he didn't, it's like, I, I don't believe anybody should be locked up for, like, creating. The only problem and not it's hard because like one of the things with decentralization is like although like it's awesome like the only problem is is like people live within countries and within those countries they have laws and if somebody violates those laws like it's up to the country to put guardrails in place and uh you know if nefarious things are going on like you said like track like the worst crimes in humanity obviously like civilization is going to come together to find ways to prevent and mitigate that. And even if it's like decentralized and you get like a ton of good use cases out of it, um, there's, you always run into that issue of, you know, countries, sovereignty and laws and them wanting to facilitate that. And with, with Bitcoin, we're lucky to have it actually still because, you know, we're seeing adoption, it's decentralized like finance so it, it's good to have that in place, like, and then hopefully, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting topic for sure, because it's like, you have to think about not only decentralization, but then how does decentralization fall into society as a whole? Um, and how, it, like, sure, like, 
laws can't really prevent de decentralization, but at the same time, governments can go after specific actors and pinpoint people right out of that company or that platform or find out who invented that and they will go after those people. And that's like the sad truth about maybe that person wasn't doing a bad thing, but it's good in the instance that like maybe they went after an actual bad actor, then society celebrates that. So again, there's just a lot to think through when it comes to that and the two different sides and ideologies that will always probably clash um, at the end of the day. Absolutely, so, man. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you can't have complete decentralization. Like there are always, uh, depending on where you live, like even in the U.S., like there will always be this. Like if the U.S. didn't want anyone to trade Bitcoin, you could, but they're going to make it really hard for you to. You know, like like they're going to, uh, they're going to find out like if any transact if you if you mess up and you connect to uh, internet without a VPN or even or even if they're able to override whatever VPN you use. Uh, they'll be able to track if you've used it at a library, or if you, or use uh, if you accidentally connected your phone to a uh, to your five G, like find out where you're at. Like if they wanted to make it hard for you to, like technically, yeah, you could still like use it, but if they wanted to make it really, really hard for you to use it, then they could. Um, so yeah, yeah. The, I think the key takeaway too for Bitcoin is it gives you ability to like hedge in something um, that is not fiat. And I think that's like the greatest like thing about Bitcoin and um, that part can't be censored, you know? So I, I, that's what I like Bitcoin about the most, one of the most things, you know, then you start talking about the other aspects, then it kind of starts going down the rails a little bit. Sure. But yeah, like, like what you were saying. All right, man, lighter topic before we conclude and I'll drop some alpha <laughs> at the very end. Uh, I just wanted to talk about this because like you've been making content like before I was even born and I, I'm a big fan of, I'm joking, Kyle, you're not that much older than me. And uh, I'm a big fan of this guy, um, but Mr. Beast had an interview. I don't remember the name of the people that interviewed him, uh, but he, he had the same interview two years ago, then he just rehad it. Basically just fleshing out a lot about content, like about what he's working on this year. And uh, it's a two-hour interview. I've watched like an hour and 30 minutes of it. Uh, one of the biggest takeaways for me that he's working on that I agree with is that he's really working on like storytelling and connection with audience. Uh, and he didn't say this, but I feel like it even ties further in with the AI because during the next year or two, we're going to see so much AI-based content, AI-based editing, AI scripts that uh, – and we talk about AI a lot here on the podcast – that you're really – in order to stand out, you're really going to have to have personality. Like you're going to have to have personality that actually stands out and people relate to or people find inter interesting or entertaining, or you're going to be able to tell real stories. Uh, I think that a lot of robotic uh, content has worked for a long time. Uh, in the NFT and, and crypto space, we see a lot of copy pasta content, which is essentially like you literally copy and paste what everybody's doing, whatever the meta is, and that gets interaction. I think all of that's short-lived. I even think short-form content to an extent is short-lived. While you should execute it now, it's short-lived if you cannot connect with people in less than 60 seconds. Um, what's your opinion on storytelling and connection with your audience? Yeah, that just goes back to like marketing for me because that was a large part of what um, you do when you craft an actual landing page, which is a landing page is when somebody clicks an ad, they go directly to that page next. That's that's people land on that page. The, the way you immediately connect with that person is you have a what's called a hook, which is like the headline, of course. And then you have a story. So you go through your story. So you have a hook, story, and then an offer. 
And that is the exact formula that I would use when I craft a landing page or whatever. If I was like driving sales, people clicking on it, that's the only way, like you're talking about 60 seconds. I'm talking about 10 seconds or five seconds that people click on an a ad and they look at that page for five seconds and decide whether or not they're going to stay on that page or go somewhere else. And that is how real marketing is actually done. And the best people that are, are great at that are great copywriters, great marketers. And so for me, when I see that and I hear that, I, I'm bullish on people that are great at marketing moving forward. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, even like that, that hook that you're talking about, like that's obviously like relative because I feel like even like five plus years ago, you could have been a lot more like sales many and won people over. Or, you know, let's say like eight or 10 years ago, like you could really like try to sell the product and it would probably work. The whole stereotypical like three piece suit, good pitch, um, you know, or whatever, like that might still work with some people, but like depending on what you're selling. But like I feel like the the new standard is you kind of got to be human more now. Like you got to like kind of ha- like build up some rapport with like who you're who you're talking with. You yeah. Know? So that. Yeah. So the, the hook is just designed to pull out human nature because we always want to see like a thumbnail we always want to look at a head like people are so drawn to the 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 hook and it applies to literally every industry like every like you look at news media youtube content they all have clickbait they all have headlines so that's called the hook the the story part however like you're saying is the human part so in in great marketing if you're especially at the higher price points you need to be able to tell a great story. And if you don't, if you fail to do that, um, you, you know, you're going to lose a lot of people. And it's not like you said, it's not about the product. Like the product's great. Like when when I was working a long time ago and I was selling like high dollar Tempur-Pedics, I wasn't selling Tempur-Pedics. I was selling great sleep. And again, great marketers know this. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the last thing I, I want to hit with like, that specific part of this section is again just the 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 person ability behind like whatever it is that you're selling or what it is that you want to captivate people on like you know again less than a decade ago politicians could literally just give their pitch on why they'd make a good candidate and like while on stage and basically fake it till they, they make it and they still can to an extent especially at that level but like I've seen some politicians like have massive growth by making a TikTok video of them sitting in their room and recording themselves on like topics that are going on. It just feels so much more personal, you know. Like it, 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 again, it humanizes them a little bit more. So I think like storytelling and connecting people, whether this is with a product or with like an audience, is like more important than it's ever been. It's almost was like a cringe word a few years ago, like the whole like storytelling thing because everybody wanted to do it. But like it's making more and more sense, especially with the growth of AI, because like you want to connect. And, you know, Mr. Beast, one of his recent videos, he gets ages one to 100 to all uh, uh, be able to see who can like last the longest, like in these like little places or whatever. But he he adds things in there that makes it very like like you connect with it. Like if I'm watching. I'm 28. I want to see how the the 20 year olds or the 30 year olds are doing, you know, because that's that's they're close to my age, you know. And there's there's at one point towards the end of the video, spoiler alert for that video, where this guy he makes it to the very end. He's like 32 or 33, 
and he hasn't seen his daughter in like days because like and it was her birthday because he was doing this challenge and they bring his wife and his daughter in and it's like a very like genuine moment because he's so excited to see his daughter and it's her birthday and she's rooting for him and his wife's rooting for him because i mean he's competing for like a million dollars or whatever um so that moment was like the most like real thing i've ever seen in a mr beast video uh, bec- and I'm so glad he included it. Obviously, like, you know, when they're writing out the script and the content and all that, like, he's thinking about that. Like, how can I connect people with my content? And I think he did a good job in that instance. Yeah, I didn't get to see those interviews, um, but I've been a big fan of Mr. Beast um, since his early days. But um, I these are a couple books that, like, I've read over the years. These are, like, really great books for anybody. But it's called Influence expert secrets and dot-com secrets. These two expert and dot-com secrets are literally about telling stories. So if you want to be an expert um, at any field, any industry, um, this book, these two books, dot-com secrets is more for like online marketing, but expert secrets talks about telling your story. This is literally the entire book is talking about that. Um, Again, this is like part of where I came from in terms of marketing. And um, you actually, they have a software that they own for building websites and sales funnels and everything just dropped off my shelf. Um, but yeah, this like literal book you can go through and it talks a lot about uh, telling a story and how to position yourself as an expert in whatever field that you're in. So it's a lot of good relevant information um, and how to like persuade like a, a prospect and like all this other good stuff. Influence is good too. Um, if you like, just to learn how like influence actually works, like how people are able to offer free things to gain influence. Like it's a little bit, you can apply it to like marketing or even YouTubers. Like anybody can apply this stuff to whatever industry or field they're in. And that's like, um, like I should read these books probably once a year just to keep refreshed on it. That's how good these books are. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks for the, uh, recommendations. And I think, yeah, I, I got these for free. All I had to do was pay for shipping. Ayo. It was really that's cool. 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 I don't know if they still have that deal going on. Um, and they may, because that's that's what part of the influence book too, is like giving freebies away to gain influence. That was like one part that's of smart. the book. And that's written by a PhD. And this company actually practices that while teaching you this amazing like knowledge from um, some of the best marketers of all time. Like Russell Brunson, and he learned from this guy named Dan or Stan something um, where these guys would literally read like they would nerd out by going through like uh, the ad section of every newspaper and article and magazine. And they would look at everything and see what like the best of the best was. That's what these like guys do for a living. Like they just live and breathe it. It's, it's actually insane. Uh, I'll have to rewatch this and uh, pick up one. Yeah, dot com secrets and there's the four hour work week, but that's like more just like how to not work. Basically, I would hate that one. He's like four hour work week. That's like a four hour what? He uses the same methods, but he doesn't just work for four hours. He works for like all day. Like, yeah, what a a fun life. He's so high. Like he, he hired VAs and all kinds of stuff, just like the four hour work week says. But he just works nonstop until he's like at a multi-million dollar level and then sells yeah. his companies makes sense but with all that being said uh we'll do a tldr to conclude got to keep this under an hour so that twitter can uh be able to watch it 
Um, we talked about Palm, NFT, and Candy joining together. We talked about Twitter just incorporating some really cool stuff. If you're if you're bullish and creating on Twitter, I encourage you just to keep doing it. We talked about animations and NFT, the Azuki Elementals, the Ether Mint, BRC Twenties on Magic Eden, and uh, some other, and of course the Ross Ubrick topic, some of the deep stuff. Here's some alpha for you, as I promised at the end. Uh, Ninja Alert is doing an Ordinals PFP drop. Uh, there's 1,500 of them. I think there's going to be 1,200 reserved for whitelist. In order to get a whitelist, all you have to do, at least that will incredibly increase your odds, is make a video of you eating a pizza and describe the pizza. I've already done this. I have an example. It's like one of my last videos on my channel uh, as an example, and this will call it, qualify you for whitelist. And I'm not just shilling this company because I work for it. Um, Trevor, the owner of the company, is a huge influence in the ordinal space. I'm not going to make promises about price predictions or anything like that. Like I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I'm not just telling you a random thing. This is an ordinal's PFP project. It's going to have actual utility tied to it. So uh, similar to Ninja Alerts, how we track on Ethereum, a lot of those tools will hopefully be available. I don't. I say hopefully as in I don't know this end of it particularly, but will be av available on the ordinal side. Um, so there's some major alpha for you. All you literally got to do is eat pizza for a chance to be able to mint this. Might as well do it. Any of you. I, my philosophy since last whitelist grind was always get whitelist first and then decide whether you want to mint later. But if you secure that whitelist first, at least you know I got it if I want to mint it or if I don't want to mint it, whatever. But other than that, uh, you have any anything, uh, any alpha for today, Kyle, or your books is your alpha? Uh, my yeah, the books were pretty good alpha. Um, no, not really. Just um, that was the, that was probably good. I mean, I see other stuff going on in the NFT space. Um, I think Lacoste now is moving into the NFT space, which is a fashion yeah. company. They had the little alligator last year. Actually, uh, I, I I think I bought some of their original stuff. They have like a brand loyalty thing coming around the corner. Ubisoft I, is launching another game. I actually game. interviewed the top holder of the Lacoste NFT. He he had the most uh, Lacoste NFT, um, and I think he did pretty well on it. So uh, Ubisoft is launching another game, partnering up with Oasis Blockchain. Ubisoft's so making big neat. shots in the uh, space. It's like they're connected with every single company that I know of. Like Ubisoft and Quid, uh, Ubisoft and Animoca Brands, Ubisoft and Vivi, Ubisoft and Sandbox, which I know, I know Sandbox. Yeah, they're, they're big, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's cool to see that. And lastly, Unity implemented AI, which wasn't a big surprise. Yeah. But their their stock increased like 12%. Send it. Um, I mean, the convergence of AI, gaming, and Web3, mm, and Metaverse, all, of, all four of those are going to just blend nicely like this and it's just going to come together and, and then probably like 10 15 years people just won't be able to tell the difference it's like oh it's all the same it's like no like 10 years ago they were all separate categories but now it's the same now but back then um just like how the iphone was like when nvidia said this is the iphone moment well it is because you know in 10 years it's going to seem like oh yeah we're just on this like game and it's immersive and it's got blockchain and AI and anyways. Dang. I'm excited to see how, how it goes, how the progression of AI goes. And I do, I do think it's yeah. an iPhone moment. I, I think that we're going to look back and be like, wow, that was, that was only iPhone one. And now we're on iPhone 14. Or yeah. Chat GPT is like one yeah, app yeah. where there's going to be a, a lot of apps. 
I actually bought an app for YouTube specifically because I was like, what are some of the ways I can be better at my craft? And then so I bought a tool to like help with um, the creation process or actually really the back end process, like timestamps and all kinds oh, of stuff. You, so you tell me about that later or drop it on the next episode. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. We will see you guys next time. Thanks for watching Teaching Dad's podcast. Next week, it's going to be on Kyle's channel. Hopefully, very soon, we're going to get this on all streaming devices. Right now, you can go back and listen to just the audio only on YouTube Music. Pretty freaking cool, but we'll eventually be available on all platforms available to you. But as of right now, Twitter, YouTube, YouTube Music. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out, everybody.